Conspiracy theories abound, and exactly how many there are is up for grabs. Some conspiracies are recent, others are decades or even centuries old. Lists of popular theories abound on the internet, though new ones seem to be born every year, especially in recent days. Leaders in government, science, medicine, and the media have discredited themselves through inept and dishonest policies affecting peoples and nations, thus giving rise to skepticism, distrust, and some of the most wildly speculative theories ever conceived. And with social media come speculations on steroids. On today's edition of Tomorrow's World, we'll look at some of the most popular conspiracy theories. I'll also reveal a grand conspiracy, the greatest of all, one that is not theory, but fact, and we'll examine the evidence that proves it. So stay with me as we review some of the most popular urban legends and reveal the greatest conspiracy of all. A warm welcome to all of you from Tomorrow's World, where we give you the good news of the coming kingdom of God, explain the prophecies of the Bible, and bring new insights from the Word of God. On today's program, we'll look at some of the most popular conspiracy theories, along with the greatest conspiracy of all, one that affects your life. Some conspiracies involve famous people faking their own death. Other narratives are about how prominent people died or didn't die, contrary to the official story. Some are rather laughable, such as, Elvis is still alive and was seen at a gas station, grocery store, or according to a supermarket tabloid, he was spotted at Graceland, his legendary home, on his 85th birthday. Other famous death conspiracies involve JFK assassin Lee Harvey Oswald, Martin Luther King, Princess Diana, and even Jesus the Christ, where a false story was circulated to explain away his resurrection. We read of it in Matthew, the 28th chapter, beginning in verse 11. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. A refuted narrative, a cover-up, a payoff, all recorded in the New Testament. Conspiracies are nothing new. And as with that example, some conspiracies are more than theories. Some have proven to be true beyond the internet blogs and questionable sources. One came to light from a top secret document that was made public on November the 18th, 1997. Operation Northwoods was a plan circulated in the US government in 1962 to stage false flag terrorist attacks inside the US and abroad to provoke military intervention in Cuba. The plan called for a central intelligence agency, that is the CIA, or other operatives to commit genuine acts of terrorism in U.S. cities and elsewhere. These acts of terrorism were to be blamed on Cuba in order to create public support for a war against that nation. 
which had recently become communist under Fidel Castro. One part of the Operation Northwood's plan was to develop a communist Cuban terror campaign in the Miami area, in other Florida cities, and even in Washington. The document was signed by Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Lyman Limnitzer, and reportedly presented to Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara on March the 13th, 1962. The plan was presented to President Kennedy, who had the good sense to turn it down. But the fact remains that a false flag of this magnitude was considered by high government officials, involving sacrificing the lives of American citizens. Is it any wonder that such schemes have contributed to wild speculation? Less than four years after Operation Northwoods came to light, Muslim extremists flew passenger planes into the World Trade Center towers and the Pentagon. Some allege that the CIA was complicit and that the attack was a ruse to create fear so that Americans would give up greater control of their lives. Others believe it was an excuse for President Bush to invade Iraq and depose Saddam Hussein, finishing the job his father left undone. Fanciful notions such as these and others are often put forward in attempts to find something beyond the common narrative. Some believe that every event must have some greater truth. Sadly, some conspiracy theories have ruined the lives of those caught up in them. One example is QAnon or as others refer to it, Q a nonsense. Following the January 6, 2021 storming of the U.S. Capitol building in Washington, D.C., BBC News explained this phenomenon. At its heart, QAnon is a wide-ranging, completely unfounded theory that says that President Trump is waging a secret war against elite Satan-worshipping pedophiles in government, business, and the media. QAnon believers have speculated that this fight will lead to a day of reckoning where prominent people such as former presidential candidate Hillary Clinton will be arrested and executed. This elaborately evolving theory began in October 2017 when an anonymous person, supposedly in the Trump administration with Department of Energy high-level Q security clearance, made a post on the 4chan message board and signed off as Q. The very nature of Q is that it becomes an obsessive game where clues are dropped like breadcrumbs, creating an addiction to find and unravel the next cryptic post. Some estimate that there are millions following Q. And if you meet one, you understand how obsessed someone can become to an unproven theory from an anonymous source. Stories abound of ruined relationships as believers become consumed in a fantasy world where anyone who disagrees is shut out and considered the enemy. It may surprise you to know that the greatest conspiracy of all is exposed in the Bible. Do you realize, dear friends, that you may very well have been taken in by it? I'll show you exactly what that conspiracy is and who is behind it, but before I do, I want to offer you a free eye-opening resource. Restoring Original Christianity is a thoroughly documented booklet that gives the history of Christianity and points out easy-to-understand prophecies that gave the history of Christianity in advance. 
In it, the late Dr. Roderick C. Meredith asked a thought-provoking question. Is it possible that Satan has deceived millions of sincere Christians? My friends, you need to know the answer to that important question. As we continue examining various conspiracies, leading up to the grand conspiracy which I'll reveal later in this program, there's something I want you to keep in mind. Few of these widely held conspiracy theories have anything to do with how you live your life. And even if true, which most of them are not, what can you do about it? If the answer is nothing, are they worthy of your attention? These conspiracy theories highlight how skeptical we have become as a society. For example, many are convinced the U.S. government is not being truthful about a number of current and historical events, such as the moon landing was faked, an alien spacecraft crashed at Roswell, New Mexico, contrails are really chemtrails, and then there is the HARP project. HARP, an acronym for High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program, is a real U.S. government program. The only question is the alleged interpretation of its purpose. Its official website states, the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program, or HARP, is a scientific endeavor aimed at studying the properties and behavior of the ionosphere. Researchers say they hope to learn about the ionosphere to enhance our communication and navigation technology. But a committed group of conspiracy theorists have long claimed PARP is used to cause natural disasters, such as earthquakes, hurricanes, or even tsunamis. Others believe HARP is used for mind control purposes. Wise King Solomon wrote, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. No, conspiracy theories are not new. But the internet, social media, and photo doctoring techniques put them on steroids. In just a few moments, we'll look at an ancient source, the Bible, and show that even it is a subject of many conspiracy theories, including those concerning its key figure, Jesus the Christ. But first, I want to give you the opportunity to request your free copy of Restoring Original Christianity. This booklet describes a conspiracy to obscure the clear instructions found in the pages of your Bible. So pick up the phone and order your free copy. For today's free offer, call 888-459-5726 or go to twtv.org original. This clear and straightforward resource will help you understand this vital truth straight from the pages of the Bible. If you're calling for the first time, you will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine. This inspiring magazine discusses news, science, and modern culture, and will help you make sense of your world from a biblical perspective. Call today and join millions around the world who are turning to tomorrow's world for truth, prophecy, and hope in these confusing times. Call now or go to twtv.org original.
On today's edition of Tomorrow's World, we're examining conspiracy theories. We've already looked at some of the more popular ones, but conspiracies are not for our day only. Do you realize that there are commonly believed theories about Christ that have no basis in biblical fact? For example, many claim that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene and that the church has hidden the evidence for centuries. Made popular by the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail and the Dan Brown novel, The Da Vinci Code, this conspiracy theory has been around a long time. Some claim that this supposed marriage produced a lineage of children that were eventually brought to France. In 2012, Harvard historian Karen King claimed to have found an ancient second century writing in which Jesus supposedly calls Mary, my wife. But four years later, she conceded that she had been duped by a forgery. Still, the theory persists as conspiracy theorists claim Mary Magdalene's role in the early church has been hidden and suppressed to maintain the power structure of the male patriarchy. Of course, the Bible says no such thing, but this is an example of how little understanding and how little faith individuals have in the one and only authoritative source of the life of Jesus. Other theories concern hidden gospel accounts of men such as Thomas and Philip which describe a figure very different than the Jesus described by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These counterfeit gospels have gotten some individuals very excited, yet there's no evidence to support their authenticity and the oldest known manuscripts date their writings to the third or fourth century, hundreds of years after the period they purportedly described. Many people hold them in high regard simply because they provide contradictory information. They hint at the possibility of cover-up and intrigue. They offer mystery and add excitement to a story which is plenty exciting on its own. They serve as a convenient plot device for authors wanting to offer their audience something new and controversial. Such books can be exciting. Movies and documentaries on the topic can be thrilling, but neither secular books nor movies should guide us on this important topic. True first century followers of Christ took the truth seriously. For them, it was no game, no social club, but a way of life. A question must be asked, and it is in the answer to this question that we find our grand conspiracy. Is the Christianity of today the same as that of the first century? Here's the answer from mainline Protestant scholar, Jesse Lyman Hurlbut in his book, The Story of the Christian Church. In the chapter that he titled, The Age of Shadows, he wrote, For 50 years after St. Paul's life, a curtain hangs over the church, through which we strive vainly to look. And when at last it rises, about 120 AD, with the writings of the earliest church fathers, we find a church in many aspects very different from that in the days of St. Peter and St. Paul. Now, what were these changes that he refers to? How significant were they? Were they minor cosmetic changes or changes in frontline doctrines? Hurlbut lists a few of the many that took place during this shadowy time and the centuries that followed. The services of worship increased in splendor, but were less spiritual and hearty than those of former times. 
The forms and ceremonies of paganism gradually crept into the worship. Some of the old heathen feasts became church festivals with change of name and of worship. About 405 AD, images of saints and martyrs began to appear in the churches, at first as memorials, then in succession revered, adored, and worshipped. The adoration of the Virgin Mary was substituted for the worship of Venus and Diana. The Lord's Supper became a sacrifice in place of a memorial, and the elder evolved from a preacher into a priest. Hurlbut is one of many mainline scholars and historians who admit the Christian church of today is not the same as that of Jesus, his apostles, and his first century followers. One common narrative is that Roman Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity and made Christianity the religion of Europe and much of the world for the last 17 centuries. But how converted was Constantine? And what kind of Christianity did he bring to the world? Historian Paul Johnson observes the following in this regard. There is some doubt about the magnitude of Constantine's change of ideas. He himself appears to have been a sun worshiper, one of a number of late pagan cults which had observances in common with the Christians. Thus the followers of Isis adored a Madonna nursing her holy child. The cult of Attis and Sybil celebrated a day of blood and fasting, followed by the Hilaria resurrection feast, a day of joy, on 25 March. The elitist Mithriacs, many of whom were senior army officers, ate a sacred meal. Constantine was almost certainly a Mithriac, and his triumphal arch, built after his conversion, testifies to the sun god or unconquered sun. Many Christians did not make a clear distinction between this sun cult and their own. They referred to Christ driving his chariot across the sky. They held their services on Sunday, knelt towards the east, and had their nativity feast on 25 December, the birthday of the sun at the winter solstice. During the later pagan revival under the Emperor Julian, many Christians found it easy to apostatize because of this confusion. The Bishop of Troy told Julian he had always prayed secretly to the sun. Constantine never abandoned sun worship and kept the sun on his coins. He made Sunday into a day of rest. The record of history shows the Christianity of the first century was very different from that of today. But does this matter as long as we worship Jesus? How does the Bible answer this question? And how does it describe first century Christianity? I'll answer these questions after reminding you once more of today's important resource, Restoring Original Christianity. Think about it. Does God leave it up to us to choose how to worship Him? Is that what the Bible tells us? Restoring Original Christianity is a must-read for anyone desiring to please God. So pick up the phone and order your free copy. This clear and straightforward resource will help you understand this vital truth straight from the pages of the Bible. Call now or go to twtv.org original. We've been looking at conspiracies on today's edition of Tomorrow's World. In the previous segments, I read from scholars and historians 
how the Christianity of Christ is not the same as that of today. But do you realize that this grand conspiracy to transform the Christianity of Christ into an apostate religion of confusion and heathenism was foretold in the pages of the Bible. That modern professing Christianity has been supplanted is not in dispute. The real questions are, who did it and what should we do about it? The answers to both are found in the Bible. Let's answer the first question. Who's behind this conspiracy? Speaking of the time yet ahead, we read in Revelation, the 12th chapter and verse 9, that there is a great deceiver. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. In Ephesians 2, verse 2, we learn how he deceives the world, by broadcasting attitudes and moods through the air. Just as a radio station transmits invisible signals through the air to be picked up by a radio and turned into music, so the great conspirator transmits invisible thoughts, moods, and attitudes of lust, greed, and rebellion into unsuspecting minds and thereby influences culture and society. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Satan does not direct the course of this world alone. He uses human beings who themselves are most often deceived. That deception is not in moral values alone, but in Christianity itself. There are many warnings in the New Testament against a satanic false Christianity, more than I have time to fully cover in this program. One passage shows the Apostle Paul soundly correcting the church at Corinth over their careless acceptance of doctrines contrary to the truth. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 4. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul then went on to explain the source of the problem, and he minced no words in doing so. He would not be viewed today as politically correct. Notice verses 13 to 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Yes, there was a conspiracy to transform Christianity into something very different from that of Jesus and his early followers. Jesus' half-brother Jude, writing in the first century, admonished those of his day that they needed to strive to preserve the truth which was already delivered to them. By doing so, he put a nail in the coffin of the idea that true Christianity evolves over time. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you 
to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude went on to show one of the major tenets of this conspiracy, that grace does away with the law of God. Notice verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus warned against following men who claim to represent him, men who say Jesus is the Christ, but deceive people in the process. The first sign Jesus gave when asked by his disciples about the sign of his coming was false Christianity. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, that is, representing him, saying, I, that is Jesus, am the Christ, and will deceive many. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So what do people do? They think exactly what he said not to think, that the law of God is done away. No wonder Jesus asks, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? The highly respected philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard sums it up with brutal clarity. The Christianity of the New Testament simply does not exist. What has to be done is to throw light upon a criminal offense against Christianity, prolonged through the centuries, perpetrated by millions, more or less guiltily, whereby they have cunningly, under the guise of perfecting Christianity, sought little by little to cheat God out of Christianity, and have succeeded in making Christianity exactly the opposite of what it is in the New Testament. In conclusion, let's look to one last passage of Scripture. Importantly for our discussion today, Jesus promises that the gates of Hades would not prevail against His church, that it would not die out. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The grand conspiracy we've examined today shows the mainstream Christian churches of today look nothing like the church of the first century. Yet the promise remains that a faithful church would continue. So I'll leave you with another question to ponder. What are you, dear friends, going to do? Will you follow the traditions of men as they have been handed down to you? That's the easy course. Or are you courageous enough to turn back to original Christianity? You won't be alone as there are others. And if you'd like to learn more about original Christianity, order our booklet on the subject and let us know if you would like to talk to someone. And be sure to come back next week when Stuart Wahovich, Michael Haykoop, and I will continue to share with you the revelation of Jesus Christ, the good news of the coming kingdom of God, and the exciting end-time prophecies and their meaning. This clear and straightforward resource will help you understand this vital truth straight from the pages of the Bible. For today's free offer, call 866-784-784. 7895 or go to twtv.org/original
Call today and join millions around the world who are turning to tomorrow's world for truth, prophecy, and hope in these confusing times. The preceding program is produced by The Living Church of God.